This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Talking Halos. This is Derek Seapalt, my co-host today, Brock Davis. Long time. I mean, I was starting to wonder if you're alive, Brock. How you doing, man? I mean, I, I was on like three or four episodes ago. Uh, we, we've been a little slow of late, though. We, we, we normally, at this time, you're getting two, three, maybe even four episodes out a week because today should have been opening day. Right now, it's between one and two to pay on, on workload. And believe it or not, when, you, when you're a teacher trying to do online teaching right now, it's... Not going, not going well in terms of time. I guess in your case, so you've been busy as well. How have you been handling this thing? I've been good. I mean, I don't know the the listeners probably don't know crazy amount about my personal life, but as a, as a job, I work I work on an ambulance, so I'm dealing with all this, you know, on the front lines, dealing with you know having to wear the proper protection and and taking people to the hospital and all that's pretty pretty been hectic and then as well for school i'm an emt right now and i'm training to become a paramedic which is the the next step in the in the pre-hospital medical field and so i'm in the field on a fire engine for school running calls as well so whether i'm at school or i'm at work no matter what i'm dealing with with the whole covid thing on the front line so it's been been pretty hectic honestly that's why i've been so busy and that's why i haven't been on here much so i hope the listeners can understand that uh it's been pretty hectic but i try to i try to get on here as much as possible and talk some baseball well can you give us i mean i know we're here to talk baseball but we don't get a lot of first person stories in the the normal everyday life kind of thing like we get the what's going on in new york what's what's been going on in in Italy, and of course, here locally, I'm hearing stuff. You know, we have, I think, over 48 cases now here. I could be wrong. 40 and something here in my county. Um, my state is over over 800. But you're living, I, w- I would normally say, living the dream. You're not living the dream right now. You're living something else. 
Okay, real quick, yeah. can you let folks know what you're experiencing? I mean, my experience is it's 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 honestly a tough topic because I'm not really sure how I feel about it. Honestly, as as a first responder, I deal with people with hepatitis, MRSA, C diff, you know, all kinds of crazy diseases and things that that I'm exposed to on a daily basis at work. So for me, this isn't anything super abnormal, but it's it's something that they're taking a lot more precaution for just because of the transmission rate. But I'm not a doctor by any means. I have fairly minimal training in the medical field, so don't take anything I say super crazy. But the main thing that I'm taking away from this is obviously it's it's a serious thing. It's it's being spread very quickly. But at the end of the day, let's do some simple math real quick and then we'll get into baseball. If there's I think right now I checked today, there's 82,000 confirmed COVID cases in America right now. So if they're saying they're saying the transmission rate is 2 to 2.5 per confirmed case. So say you double that number, it's 160,000 to 160 to say 200,000 cases that could be out and about that we don't know exist because people are staying home, not getting tested, etc. And if the fatalities in America is 1,700, I think it's close to 1,800 now, so 1,800, then realistically the the, fatal, or the mortality rate that they're telling you on the news is, is not accurate and is super inflated because they're only taking that mortality rate, that percentage they're giving you, that, that 3% is what I think it is, is what they're saying, then that's only based off the confirmed cases. So the deaths, no, the deaths aren't being missed. The, the total confirmed cases, it's what's strayed and not getting the exact accurate number because people are staying home, not getting tested, et cetera, which is good, you know. But just be careful with being super panicky and scared about this because that mortality rate is definitely not correct. I would probably put it closer to 05 to 0.75%, which is, I think, 025 to 0.3% lower than the seasonal flu. So I'm not saying this isn't serious. No, it's above the flu. Not a doctor. The, the flu like a point oh one. No, no, the flu is around one percent. Okay, so. But but like that's what I'm saying too is how many people stay home with the flu? So you don't really know how many cases of the flu there really are. So the only the the mortality rates are only based off the confirmed cases that come into the hospital and then they die. So if if the confirmed cases of the seasonal flu is 75,000, how many people actually got the flu throughout the year? So I guess technically speaking, yeah, the, the seasonal flu probably has a lower mortality rate if you were to integrate the actual possible amount of seasonal flu cases, which is probably millions. Um, so it is probably a higher mortality rate. But I'm just saying a 3% is not accurate. It's it's definitely, definitely lower because that's only based off of those 82,000 confirmed cases that they know of. And it's at least double that per their transmission rate, which they're saying is 2 to 2.5. So that's all I have to say about it. I mean, I mean, if you just take the time to pay attention to the news, you can kind of figure that out. I don't understand all panic with it, but it's still an infectious enough that we have to take it seriously. And that's the scary part is, is we have so many people not taking it seriously, even though the death rate isn't what we all believe it to be. I mean, I, it blows my mind, but that we're actually 
today would be opening day. We should be watching the Angels playing this today. And we're mm-hmm. sitting at home pretty much locked in. But then you understand, well, how communicable is it? And you find out it's still pretty darn infectious and you understand why. What will our country learn? What will our sports leagues learn? Since the sports podcast, I'll bring that in there. And then, of course, what we what we learn about ourselves as individuals, and probably is what a once in a lifetime event. You know, you're how old again? I'm 22. You're 22. So you were alive when September 11th happened, but you're not going to remember it. You know, no. and so this is you know this is for my students. That's what I tell them. This is going to be this is their 9/11 and like that event of a lifetime. You'll remember where you were. Yeah, my only advice to everybody after this whole situation is you should be taken up on – this should be a wake-up call that you should have been doing hygiene practices prior to this, and now you're going to start recognizing the things that you weren't doing before that you should have been doing, i.e. washing your hands after going number two in the bathroom. There's people that don't wash their hands after doing that. That's crazy to me. So like – and then unnecessarily touching things at the store, not wiping down your shopping carts, just touching everything, letting your kid, letting your kids sneeze and cough everywhere without covering their mouths and touching everything and touching you. There's a lot of hygiene practices that people weren't practicing before that now they're like, oh, wow, I'm, I should actually probably start doing this. Well, you should be doing that no matter what. Well, there's so those nasty Hopefully that's too. a wake up call for that. There's those nasty people going to the supermarkets and licking stuff. And they, there's a story about a kid who will uh, lick the toilet. And got himself Yeah, you know, you know what I call that? Idiot. You know what I call that, Derek? I have I a word for Darwinism. It. That's friend. actually where I was going. <laughs> Natural selection in action. Natural so. selection in action. <laughs> so there you go. All right, folks. Oh, and also, I also call that job security for me. That's job <laughs> security. I ain't going uh, anywhere with people like that. And, but you, and you're one of the few people who has that job security. So let's try and, and move away from that, though, because we want to get into um, – we're going to get into the actual reason to tune into us right now because there's no baseball except for the the kind of cool thing they're doing with MLB Network by putting all these teams' appearances on you know opening day games and so on and so forth on the show on their on their network. You don't really have MLS, MLB, NBA, NHL. So we've gone back in time here and we are looking at the 2002 World Series. We're on game two, and I, I, your homework was to watch the game for tonight, and mm. uh, you said you did. We're going to find out because you're going to give us all the juicy details. But <laughs> you have a different perspective because you mentioned before you were born right before this. This is you're 22 years old. This is 20. Yeah, I was born so. in '97, so I was I was five. I, I was in I was in the room when my dad was watching it, but obviously being five years old, I'm not going to remember much of the details. Uh, but yeah, no, I was I was five when they won. So yeah, you would very you probably remember. I'm guessing like little flashes, and that would be mm-hmm. it. I would ask you though, when you observe this game now, years later, you you told me you've watched it a few times. What are the the really key things that you took away from this game? So I took away some pretty interesting things, honestly, because I think the last time I watched Game 2 was probably when I was 13 or 14, maybe maybe younger, like middle school. And so now I've kind of had a little bit more of a developed sense for the game, and I'm able to understand little little things that I probably didn't notice before. 
So the biggest takeaway that I that I got from watching Game Two again was the first inning they had four consecutive hits and two runs with no outs, and the way that they were manufacturing their runs was awesome to me. And it, it is kind of the the social way that that he had been, you know, running the Angels for a while, but the way that they were doing in this game and having it actually work, just the running game. Uh, they didn't even, I don't even think they hit a home run in the first inning, but yet they were just getting good contact on the ball. They were running, they were utilizing everything and the, and the run manufacturing that they had in that first inning was, was unbelievable. Honestly, it was, it was awesome seeing that again and seeing just the way that they were doing it. And, the best comparison that I pulled from it was the 2019 Nationals, the underdog team, the 2002 Angels were a wild card team as well, and I think they were 99 and 63, I believe, in in 2002. So they they had a very good season, and that typically would be a, a first place uh, team in in some divisions, but they got wild card that year. And to me, it was very 2019 Nationals, super 2019 Nationals. Not a crazy amount of power. You know, we had a couple people in the middle of the lineup like Anderson, Gloss, and and Salmon that could that could put up good homer numbers. But if you pull up the lineups of the 19 Nationals and the 2002 Angels, there you could totally draw a lot of comparisons in the way that they're manufacturing their runs with with stealing and running the bases and their aggressiveness, and then having those couple people to to hit the hard hard homers or hard hits to drive in the the guys that are running and so that that's the biggest takeaway i took from uh from game two and it's interesting you're talking about the little things like that because i i go back to that year i mean i'm a, I'm a different breed of fan as you've grown up you despite the recent drought you got to see the angels overall be successful they mm-hmm. had a great 2000s decade. They've been they had some decent years in the early 2010s and that is what we've grown to expect out of this franchise before this recent you know, drought which hopefully will end this season if there's a season which I think there will be. Um but leading in 2002 it was normal for the Angels to fall apart. The 1995 season, where they led the AL West by like 12 games, and you're wondering, geez, how did this all go away as they enter the last week of the season? Then they make it, they can make a last comeback to force the special extra game up in Seattle and make it blown out. We were so used to those disappointments; it just kept coming and coming and coming. They and you get to 2002, they start the year 6-14, and 14, and they catch this lightning in a bottle. Or at least we thought it was at the time. Like You saw the scene go from 6-14 and 14 to this season where everything seemed to go their way. It wasn't like 95 or years prior to that when they just kept basically collapsing. 99 wins against the wild card. They they beat the mighty Yankees. They get to the ALCS and Adam Kenny pulls his performances in the championship series. And then game one passes by. The Giants win in Anaheim. And I mentioned this. I was stationed in 
I was stationed in Naples, Italy at the time, and I was getting up at one o'clock in the morning to watch these games, which meant I wasn't getting sleep that night. I'm going to bed at like ten, getting three hours every night because at four o'clock in the morning I'm not going to I'm I'm going to work at that point. The the thing is I remember that game too very well because I knew that if the Angels lose this game in Anaheim, this series is done. They're not going to go up to St. Louis, St. Louis, sorry, not St. Louis, San Francisco, and win three straight up there. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. You're already down two nothing in your home park, and the atmosphere for that series, pretty much all year, by the way, was amazing. And so you felt that pressure. You felt that that emotion. You felt that the nerves. As a fan who would watch this dream season, you never knew, given this team's history, this that kind of season would ever even happen again in Angels history. And you walk into game two, and there it is. You mention it. First inning, five runs. <laughs> and you're thinking, okay, we, I can relax. I can relax. Giants score four next inning. Two for the Angels, all of a sudden 7-4. By, by the time you get to the fifth, it's now 9-7 going to the bottom of the fifth inning. So that kind of game was just just something to watch overall. And I think we learned something about this team that was so different about previous Angels teams was that they, they had a toughness to them, that a mental toughness to them, that they would not fold like previous Angels teams did. And we watched we watched a lot of Angels teams hold. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. And what what else can you, you know, as you observed, did you remember that really stuck out to you? I I hated the top of the fifth. The top of the fifth was really rough for me to watch, uh, mainly because the I think it was David Bell. Uh, ben Weber was pitching, and David Bell hit the ball up the middle. Adam Kennedy dove and flicked it over to to Eckstein, and he got called safe. A run scored, and then ended up being, I think it was second and third after that. And that killed me because to me, I I, pa- I literally went back and probably watched it two two or three times in slow motion, pausing it right at the moment where he caught the ball, hundred percent out. In, to, in today's day and age, you challenge that 100% out and the inning would have been over. And I think at that point, if that run wouldn't have scored, it would have been 5-7 still instead of at, by the end of that inning, it ended up being 9-7 Giants at the end of that inning. So it started out 5-7 and then it ended up they ended up scoring four runs in that inning and it could have been 5-7. Um, so that was pretty rough to watch. Uh, another thing that I noticed, a little funny thing that I took away from this was Fuller, one of the Angels hitters, he totally had. He was totally running the Juan Soto take. I think it was you in mean the Fulmer, right? Brad Fulmer. Oh yeah, Fulmer. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was hitting, and uh, I think it was in the seventh inning that I noticed it. I don't know if he was doing it in all of his at bats, but he he fouled off the first two pitches, and then there was it went ended up being a three two count because I think he took three pitches in a row that were balls. And every single one, he totally did like the Juan Soto kind of style take. He didn't grab his crotch, but he like totally did the put his weight back and did the weird thing that that Soto does. So I thought that was kind of funny. 
Uh, another thing that I noticed was the energy, like you just brought it up about how the energy in the atmosphere of, of the Angels fan base was pretty wild that season. When Salmon hit that second homer to make the score 11-9, that crowd was wild. That crowd was super wild, especially when he came out and he did the little helmet thing when he came out of the dugout. They went crazy. And I was like, I never heard the Angels crowd that loud, ever. Like, it was loud. Um, so that was super cool to see again at, a, at kind of an older age to fully be able to take it in. Another thing was that Bonds home run in top nine, that was that was insane. That was that ball was absolutely demolished. And I'm just glad that, that nobody got on base before that because it would have been a pretty interesting game to follow that if he would have tied, tied it up with that homer. Um, and then lastly, uh, I totally forgot. I don't know why I forgot this, but I didn't realize that that was K-Rod's rookie year. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was Lackey's too, wasn't it? Yep, sure was. So that was that was kind of cool to see how young Lackey and K-Rod looked. A little K-Rod going up as a 20-year-old, and he was super dominant in that game. And I forgot to look up before we started recording, but I noticed that that game was his fifth win in, in the postseason. And I, I forgot to look up whether he got any more in games three through seven and whether or not he holds the record for most postseason uh, victories because I know Strasburg got got four or five in nineteen, and he was up there in the record books for uh, most wins in, in postseason history. So I was kind of curious of of where the record lies with that. So, but yeah, other than that, I mean, it was super cool to watch. I really enjoyed watching it kind of older age where I was able to analyze more and understand more of the style and how they were manufacturing their runs. And gosh, that game was back and forth the whole game with a lot of homers and. A lot, a lot to see. By the way, in that game, Barry Bonds was one for two with three runs, including that ginormous home run. Three walks in that game. They played the walk game mm-hmm. with him. And, I mean, whenever you get a chance to watch that World Series, you understand how good he was because there was, you know, that palpable fear as an Angels fan every time you saw him walk the plate. You know, and John and I had that whole Barry Bonds discussion last show, but it's still comes to mind. Just we have the whole steroids thing with him, and it's easy to dismiss him as being a roidhead. But so was a large portion of the league, and this guy was just a step above so many players. Like. I don't, mm-hmm. At that point in time, he was the most feared here in the league. And what's crazy oh, absolutely. is even before that, he was still one of the best, if not the best player in the league. He's he was, probably the most feared hitter of all time. It just shows by his walks and his intentional walks. Uh, you know, it's hard for me to say because that was a period in time when, when strategy changed. And you didn't really used to walk people like that. And it really started with Barry Bonds. So the, the strategy mm-hmm. really changed. I had never seen somebody walk as much as that on purpose. But part of it also was the Giants lineup behind Barry Bonds was didn't exactly scare you. Benito Santiago, mm-hmm. who was a solid player in his own right, hit behind Barry Bonds in this game. JT Snow, decent player, went, you know, former Angel. Reggie Sanders, then David Bell, Sean Dunstan, Dunstan, good players. None of them scared the life out of you though when they came to play. And so there was no reason to pitch to him. Honestly, he wasn't yeah, going to steal no, bases like he used to. So, uh, you know, it's 
he was himself scary as all get out, but also the Giants didn't really put anybody behind him. Yeah, that's kind of like imagine Mike Trout having David Fletcher hitting behind him. As much as we love David Fletcher, mm-hmm. he's not going to scare you in terms of home run power. You know, mm-hmm. he'll hit 270, 280, 290. He'll get on base, but it's not going to frighten you away from hitting from pitching to Mike Trout. But that's mm-hmm. that's kind of how it is. I mean, Sonny will hit more home runs than that, but overall, not nothing fearful. But look at the Angels lineup that year. You had Tim Salmon with Garrett Anderson hitting behind him, then Troy Gloss mm-hmm. in the middle of that order. And you look at the rest of the order, Brad Fulmer, power, wasn't really known for much else. Um, didn't really have this major career in the league, but you have... Adam came to the bottom of the lineup, and you had Derek, David Eckstein on the top of the lineup, and that was such a nice combination. They were similar in terms of how they hit, how they um, how they got on base. They were both scrappy guys, and that, I think, made a difference. Honestly, it made a, made a huge difference. Yeah, and I, I see – I know that we're in a totally different time of, of game now than we were 18 years ago, but I was – I was drawing the comparison of our of our lineup currently and the lineup in 2002 and I mean you look at the 02 lineup and you don't you're not like oh my gosh this lineup is so good this lineup is crazy this is a world series team and that's that a a that's kind of the comparison that I drew to the Nationals because you look at the Nationals lineup last year and that wasn't really like that either you know, you had Juan Soto, and you're like, "Oh, nice!" Like, yes, especially at the beginning of the year when you didn't really know what Juan Soto was going to give mm-hmm. to you. You were kind of like, "All right, yeah, like he's cool, but you don't really know what you're going to get," kind of thing. And at the end of the year, you're like, "Yeah, this is a good lineup. They know how to manufacture runs, but they weren't. They still weren't that scary." You know, you had Rendon and Soto, and and that's pretty much the the beef of the lineup. And then everyone else around them was just kind of on base getters. So that's the comparison I drew with them. But the comparison to our lineup now, our lineup now, I think, is, I want to say significantly, but if you put O2 lineup to, to 20 lineup, 20 lineup's definitely better. Definitely better. So that's that's what's kind of crazy to me is it kind of opened my eyes to be like, that's crazy that our pitching in O2 wasn't fantastic. I mean, better than it is right now. But it wasn't. You wouldn't look at that rotation and bullpen either, and say, "Oh, that's definitely a World Series team." And we ended up taking it. But now, you look at our team now, and our team looks better than it did in '02, in my opinion. But you're nowhere close to saying that the Angels are a World Series team this year either, because we're we're bagging on the pitching so much, and understandably. But I just thought that was kind of crazy that '02 won the World Series. I mean, they were underdogs, but they they took it. And you look at our team now compared to then, and our team's definitely better this year than it was in 02. But times are different. I Well, I mean, if you're talking about pure power, yeah, this year I would say they're, the lamps better power-wise, but that's not really how they were built. They were built as a, as a team that was aggressive on the base pads. They were aggressive at the plate. They... They specialize in making teams nervous. And what I mean by that is you never knew what that team was going to do. You didn't know if they were going to steal a base here, if they are going to run a hit and run, if they are going to run a squeeze play. 
And that's something that this roster is not really accustomed to doing and didn't do last year. Didn't do a whole lot of running at all. And Mm that was one of my huge complaints about the 2019 team and pretty much about baseball in general. They they don't they become one dimensional offensively as a as a sport, and my my case is you don't have to be that way. You don't have to be a team that falls in line with the re, with the trends of the rest of the league offensively. You want to be multifaceted, in my opinion. And this is, I guess it's a, maybe it's a bad opinion. I don't know, but I, I think I'm right. You you want to be able to score in different ways. And yes, the, if you look at that lineup right now. You go think that was a pretty good lineup, but in reality was in 2002, Troy Gloss led the team with 30 home runs. Good, very good. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that's not going to blow anybody away in the home run chase. Darren Erstad had 10, Gary Anderson 29, Tim Salmon 22, Brad Fulmer 19, and Scott Spezia with 12. They they. Were, however, pesky. 17 stolen bases for Kennedy. 21 for Eckstein. Even 10 for Troy Gloss. 23 for Erstad. 10 for Fulmer. Fulmer was a big boy. Uh, off the bench, Orlando Palmero had 7. So they were really good at just being annoying. Nobody on that mm-hmm. team struck out more than 144 times. That was Gloss at 144. And then followed by Salmon at 102. A 102 strikeout season in today's game is considered really good. In contrast, mm-hmm. Mike Trout strikes out, what, I think he was 160 this year? Over 160 strikeouts this year. Something like that. So that's just a, it was a different kind of team. It's hard to say they're better or worse in terms of skill, but in terms of being multifaceted, that's what they were. I mean, late in the year, they're bringing Sean Figgins off the bench in the World Series. Yeah, something else I'm noticing here, too, that's pretty cool is if you look at the one through nine, OPS plus wise, seven out of the nine players in the one through nine had above 100 OPS plus. Yeah. And that's that's something that's pretty special and overall. Another thing I want to point out, too, especially in reference to this game, is that the Angels, you mentioned the pitching staff, but the bullpen did a job. They did a really nice job throughout much of the season. A name that got hit hard in that game was Ben Weber. Four hits in two-thirds of an inning, two runs, but then Frankie comes in, goes three innings. Three innings. Mm-hmm. And then Percival with his with the one run get in one inning, but you know it's the Barry Bonds for crying out loud. So Frankie comes in and becomes the hero of the day. That was a lot during the season. Ben Weber that season went seven and two, the two point five four ERA. Mm-hmm. Play pitching six through games, seventy eight innings pitched, seventy hits. And I'm sorry to say though he. Was not the same after that year. The next year he played, he pitched pretty well, but the numbers just weren't as good. Um, and then a year later, he's he's pretty much done. You can look at the rest of the bullpen. Scott Shields, he was 26 at the time, one of the best relievers this team has ever had. And we forget about him because his rubber arm eventually wore out as well. 
So you had him in the bullpen. He had a 2.2 ERA that season. You had guys who came in there and made magic happen. Frankie came up late. And, of course, Troy Porcival, 1.92 ERA that year in 58 games, 40 saves. That bullpen was was actually really good. It had a lot of good pieces. Brennan Donnelly, that's a name of blast of the past, 2.17 ERA. He put in a couple of really great years to the team before, he, before his arm wore out. I, they were able to, to piece together some misfits, basically, in that bullpen, and they, they shined. And without those guys stepping in, this is a different season because the starters weren't, weren't great. Uh, Ramon Ortiz, 15-9, 3770 RA. We'd take that now. Okay. Jared Washburn was the ace that year, 3.15 ERA, 18 and 6. But after him, Kevin Apier at 14 and 12 with 392 ERAs is kind of deceiving because by the time the World Series came around, he was done. He was yeah, and you saw it live and in person. It was done. Aaron Seeley, 8-9. This was a this was a, a rotation that needed change in the next couple of years. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I overall, though, I just remember thinking, how is this pitching staff going to withstand the Giants over the stretch of a season of a series? Because we couldn't match up with them talent for talent. Oh, at least I thought we couldn't. Jason Smith, the Giants pitcher, was one of the best in the league at the time. Livian Hernandez was one was the known for his clutch pitching in the playoffs. And, uh, man, do I even, I mean, what do you even say? Ramon Ortiz for them. Uh, sorry, it was Russ Ortiz for them, for the Giants. This is when I realized with that 11-10 game, the Angels had a shot. That lineup was just too good. That's really what I took away from that game. It was dramatic. It was, I just, like you mentioned, the, how loud it was, the, how I felt pumped getting up for work that morning. I was so, Brock, I was so pumped up, man. <laughs> it was like I was amped going into mm-hmm. work at 4.30 in the morning, amped, closer to 5 at that point. I stayed as long as I could before I left for work. You know, I wish you could. You know, it's crazy is I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the, their rank in the, there was 14 American League teams at the time and they were second in team ERA. Yeah, bullpen, a lot of it too. Yeah, bullpen, those, I mean, LaRusso really started that stretch, if you remember, you probably don't remember, with the the closer, the setup man, the seventh inning guy. The Angels did that to perfection, really. They had dudes set up seven, eight, nine pretty much all the time. And that's how it really worked through much of the 2000s. Other teams, you know, did the same thing, but they, they had Brennan Donnelly to Scott Shields to Troy Percival. And then later on, when, when K. Robbie came the closer, I mean that was good stuff. That was clutch. That was yeah. For a couple of years, they were great. I remember. I remember K. Rod clear as day. I I don't remember much of Percival other than just watching the last out of the World Series plenty of times. But I remember K. Rod clear as day. I remember his his. his I remember all that. I was. That was pretty cool. I mean, I K Rob was 
He was electric when he came up. That I mean, he was really nobody really knew much of him. But in that series, you you learned how he was real quick, and it's kind of a shame that his career didn't go on as long as I thought it would. I mean, well, he had a long career. He he played all the way to 2017, but he wasn't nearly as dominant mm-hmm. for. I think it was more of a medium stretch. Like um, looking back over the years, he was his first year at the Mets, a three seven one ERA, and then he was pretty good. He had a one eight six ERA when you're in Milwaukee. Then went up to four thirty eight, four five. But he he just had um, so there was just something different about him. Even though he had some good numbers, he just wasn't the same K Rod that he was. During his time with the Angels, mm-hmm. I mean that's why the Angels let him go. He, he went all in two thousand eight with the Angels, but he was good, man. My goodness, his his slider was. I was in game two. His slider was ridiculous. Uh, yeah, he was. Um, it was a slider. He, I don't understand what really happened. I. I would love to ask. He and it's just crazy. His numbers: four hundred thirty-seven saves. That's a lot of saves. Yeah. But he just there's still it amazes me. Given what he had when he came up, that he didn't actually do more. It's kind of strange. I say that, right? He finished his career with a two point eight six ERA. That's a nice ERA. Nine hundred seventy-six innings pitched. You think he's a Hall of Famer? Well, I mean, he had some personal issues mixed in there. That yeah, I, don't, I do I remember that. Yeah, you're right. Will, uh, people will forget, but also between 2010 and and 2014, 2013, he was all over the league. That's tough to say. Like he, I feel like if Billy Wagner doesn't get inducted, then he shouldn't either. Well, I mean, Billy Wagner should be in. Billy Wagner should 100% be in. 100%. But that's I a mean, different conversation. But I was just curious what you were going to say about, about K-Rod. Because, I mean, you said, what did you say, 471 saves, you said, career? 437. Yeah, 437. So that's a ton. And he holds the single season record with 62. What Do you do? You have the stats right there? Do you What year was the 62? Do you remember? Was it 08? It was in 2008, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, was, I remember watching that season. Yeah. That season was ridiculous. He was just out, out there dominant every single night. Like, if he came out there, I think that really was the last time that I can recall as an Angels fan where that was a pitcher that we had where when he went out there, we had no doubt. He would go out there and he'd be like, all right, game over. Like, turn off the, you know, turn it off. Like, we're good. Or if you're in the middle of doing something, you stop paying attention for a couple of minutes and you look up and the game would be over and be like, yeah, I wouldn't expect anything less because they brought out K-Rod. So I, I remember that. It was it was insane. That dude wouldn't lose when he came out there. But it was really, I don't know what it was about him, though, that changed. Like, he still had great yeah. numbers. But watching him with the Mets or watching him in Milwaukee, there there just was something about him that was not nearly as like dominant. There was nothing some of the fear went away. 
which is crazy because at age 32 in Milwaukee, he he had a 304 ERA, 44 saves, 68 innings pitched, 49 hits allowed. I mean, that's that's an amazing season. But go back in time to his Angels days and 2003, 95 strikeouts in 86 innings pitched, 123 in 84 innings pitched, 91 in 67 and 3rd innings pitched, 98 in 73 innings pitched, 90 in 67 innings pitched. But this is, if you're if you're noticing though, the strikeout numbers are going down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you can't, 77 for the Angels in that 62 season. I think the Angels knew he just, he wasn't the same guy. Still very good, but wasn't the same guy, and that's why they let him go. I mean, they they weren't willing to, they weren't willing to pay the money. I I believe that he wanted, and that's because they saw the right in the wall. It's just he wasn't the same guy. Mm-hmm. But he was he was great. And yeah, fifty two and fifty three with a two eight six six time All Star. World Series champion. I mean, man, nine hundred forty-eight games with four hundred thirty-seven saves. That's just uh, eleven hundred forty-two strikeouts and nine hundred seventy-six innings pitched. That's just a, a career ten and a half strikeout per nine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's pretty. It's pretty good. I mean, but like I said, if Billy Wagner ain't in it. I don't know. I don't know if I could put K Rod in. I mean, I think K Rod deserves it, and I think Billy Wagner deserves it. But I'm just saying, that's how they kind of run the run the halls. It's like, oh well, if this guy can't be in, then this guy can't be in. So I don't know. I mean, six All Star games is probably one of the more impressive things for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, as a closer for sure. As closer. He won the save title three times, broke the record at one point. I mean, that's that's those are all feathers in his cap. The overall save total, I'm trying to find where he ranks again. I think it said fourth. Fourth. Uh, and he placed top five in Cy Young three times. I mean, that's... Top, top four in Cy Young three times, sorry. And MVP sixth in 2008. Third in yeah. Cy Young and All-Star and sixth in MVP. Yeah, fourth all-time. You're right. He for saves. I mean, who's behind him on that list, too, is... Well, Billy Wagner at 422, but as a lefty. I, I mean, obviously, Trevor Hoffman's one of them. Mm-hmm. Trevor Lee Hoffman's the, the leader. And there's Lee Smith. Look at the rest of these these closers on there. John Franco, Billy Wagner, Des Eckersley. Eckersley, geez, he was so good. Joe Nathan. I mean, these were all great closers. Jeff Reardon, Papelbon, Percival's on their 11th. And oh yeah, so, I forgot Rivera took it took it took the record. Why did I forget that? So yeah, it's it's literally Rivera, mm-hmm. Hoffman, Smith, K Rod. So three Hall of Famers in front of him. Uh, he, that makes you rethink him. I mean, that needs to be a conversation for a podcast again. Give it times. I think still, I mean, looking at his career, I I need some time to rethink that one. I might be wrong. I mean, I didn't really consider where he was, but the numbers. And the stats kind of make you think a little bit. It's interesting. We'll sub quick. three with fourth on the list. He should be eligible, what, in two years? 2017 see, is last year. He retired. Yeah, 2017, so 2022. Yeah. 
Let's, let's put that a poll. Let's put that question out to the fans. Does Frankie Rodriguez deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? It's just going back through the numbers now is a rethink. And I think if his strikeout numbers don't go down, because his strikeout numbers matter to closer, uh, I, I think it's he'll probably wind up being number one on that list. He was just so stinking good at one point. But yeah, and let's let's old. leave all all other. Uh, things out of the out of the conversation. So when Just we put out baseball this poll, question. it's statistic. Statistically, do you think K. Rod should be in the Hall of Fame, regardless of the, of the domestic issues? That's not what we're what we're here to to wonder about. We're just curious, based off of statistics and other people in the Hall. Do you think that K. Rod deserves to be in the Hall? Now, that's something to think about. Man, I, I, it was just, it was deceitful because I, I first thought was no, but as I'm going back for the numbers. I mean, he still made the All-Star game as a 32-year-old, 33-year-old. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive in itself. Okay, so I should have done this early in the show, but we just started talking, and it's you know it's been a while getting to a good baseball conversation. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. But I, there's one, one more thing I need to address other than the transaction. I'm going to talk about those real quick. Um, but here we are looking for sponsors for the new year if we have one and quite frankly I don't who's got money right now with what's going on so let's flip this around if you are a business in the area of where we are most of our listeners are which are the Orange County area and you need some help like just getting the word out hey uh, we are open for carry out or open for takeout and people might not know about it because of the whole lockdown thing. We'll gladly put out an ad for you. Free of charge. Okay, we, we want to help the community as best we can. So reach out to us at talkinghalos at gmail.com. And we'll work with you to get an ad out on our show free to help put the word out that your establishment, whether it be food or whatever, is open for business let's you know we want to do the best we can to help community and help keep people employed jobs going okay also the contest we had for opening night today was supposed to be it i mean the tickets for opening night were in hand we had that contest for the 100 uh 100 five-star reviews we pretty much stopped with that while everything was going on we're going to do the contest we're going to finish contest don't get me wrong but until we even know when opening day is or what tickets I'll be able to switch these things in for, I want you to know we haven't been forgotten. You will still get your tickets, whoever wins. And um, I just want you to know we haven't forgotten about it. Okay? So with that said, before we move on to our last topics, we do want to read a couple of tweets. Not tweets, I'm sorry. Reviews that we hadn't read on the show yet that deserve some recognition. Okay? Here we go. From this game is very annoying. This is from March 8th, 2020. Great podcast for Angels fans. A diehard Angels fan. This is my favorite Angels podcast. Eric is a great host. Well, I thank you very much. Good sir. Jared is very knowledgeable about the game. And John offers good insight from the fan's perspective. Brock, they forgot about you, man. Yeah, what, what's up with that? What's up? <laughs> Probably because you've been away for a while. Yeah, um, yeah. So this is from Jagged Visions 666. Ugh, scares me a little bit. On March 11th, great podcast for Angels fans. One of the better baseball podcasts out there. Jared Timms is the gem. 
<laughs> Jared will that one. Angel Dude 02 from March 11th. Great, awesome podcast. Great podcast. I listen to my Angel podcast, and this one is by, is by far is the best. Well, it's really nice to say because we got some good ones um, alongside us at Angel's Nation. Um, I just said Angel's Nation. You know what I mean? It's, thank you. If the finish it off, this brings many perspectives from the fan and analytics point of view. Thank you very much. And then Big Cat, uh, Bad Cat John on March 12, 2020 says, worth your time. Derek and his crew offer insight and intelligent discussion about something I care about deeply. Angels baseball. They are knowledgeable, informed, and if you are a serious fan of the Angels, this is worth your time. Now, I just want to point this See, out. See, he said and crew, so I think I'm included in that one. Yeah, you are. You are. Um, this one point this out because John, I thought this is the John on top because I've seen him in, on my Facebook and I see him on Twitter. Goes by you know, Bad Cat John Thompson, probably. Um, John also listens to our Rams podcast as well, and he has been just really kind enough to be encouraging for the work we do. So, John, if you're listening to this show, I'd like to invite you on the show for an upcoming episode reach out to me on facebook or twitter or email us and let's make it happen let's have you on the show and let's get you know your point of view on angels baseball overall we'd love to have you on and i mean that from the bottom of my heart thank you because john you've been a huge support for us and this is john thompson by the way if this is mm. the review from him but he reaches out to me um just on facebook or whatever and just has encouraging things to say and it's nice to know because you know this is uh, labor of love on our part, you know. It's not like I'm making money or anything off this. Okay, so um, we'd like to, but hopefully that'll come one day. In the meantime, though, we just appreciate your listeners, all of you out there who who've left reviews. We really appreciate that, and we will make good on the promise of tickets. They were bought. I haven't I have physically had them in possession, and then of course, the life changed for all of us. Well, a couple more things here. The second base nominees. Let me get your reactions real quick as we finish up here today. The nominees for our second baseman. We'll have the poll out here for this soon as well. Are Bobby Canoop, Howie Kendrick. Any reactions there? I like Kendrick. I really like Kendrick, but he's he's like my generational second baseman, so that's probably a little biased. Um. This was interesting. Randy Velarde was nominated. Hmm. Adam Kennedy. Mm. See, to, for me, with my age, it's it's going to be between Kennedy and and uh, and Kendrick. I, I definitely grew up more watching Kendrick, but yeah, I really like both of them. I, I I love watching highlights and watching stuff with Kennedy though too. But I don't know, man. That's but that's tough for done. me. We're not done, Damien. Easley. Oh, we're not done. What's on the list? Someone said David Fletcher. <laughs> David Fletcher? <laughs> David Fletcher wins. But I... I Bobby Gritch mm. is on this list about 10 times over. So something tells me Bobby Gritch is going to win. But we'll get that poll out to you guys here the next day. Yeah, that's a good one. Day, and uh, I'm willing to bet that... Uh, it's looking, just, just judging for the results, it'll be Bobby Gritch, but we'll find out. Uh, other news real quick as we get into a roll... I think it's Bobby Rich, man. I'm going to say probably Bobby Rich. But here we go. The 
transactions for the angels in the last couple of days, you could tell they're still doing things, even though they're stuck behind you know closed doors because they've already made their calls on a couple of players. One of them being Taylor Cole. Taylor Cole was designated for assignment. That was on the, I believe the 22nd, if I'm looking here, just verifying I have the date right. The 22nd, yes, that's correct. So they could select left-handed pitcher Ryan Butchter to the offense, to the, the roster. Did I say that last name right, Butchter? You know how bad I am with names. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Okay, so that was on the 22nd? Might be Buckter. I don't know. Buckter. Might be Buckter. You know, where, where is Jared when I need him? Jared's always got the... Got the uh, the name's just perfect. Okay. But three days later, the Angels announced Taylor Cole has cleared waivers. He's out right to Salt Lake. And joining him at Salt Lake is Luke Bard, Bookner, Michael Hermosillo, and Jared Walsh. So they've made their moves. Okay. So we know those guys will not be on the Major League roster to start the season, likely, as they're already off to minor leagues. Any thoughts on that? Uh, well, I know that Taylor Cole struggled last year. I think he had like a plus five ERA, so I know he was struggling. So that doesn't super surprise me that 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 happened. They obviously didn't see much improvement with him. Uh, Ryan Buckter, I was a little bit surprised because um, we just got him and he had a good year last year. Looking at it here, forty five innings, two nine eight ERA, with a nine point nine K per nine. Uh, so he had a pretty good year, and he's a he's a solid lefty in the in the bullpen. So I was a little surprised by that one, but I don't think he's going to be staying down there for super long. Um, so I'm not really sure the motivation behind that move. Um, Hermosillo, I mean, we don't really have room for him, honestly. I mean, our outfield is is pretty stacked. I really like Goodwin. Fletcher's probably going to get some outfield time. Upton's hopefully going to have a healthy year. Trout, obviously. Um, and then we have Marsh and Adele too, that would probably rank higher than Hermosillo to, to come up if we absolutely needed, absolutely needed somebody or somebody got hurt and they were ready to go. They'd probably come up first before, before him. Um, but he had, he had some speed and he had some promise. So, uh, I like him too. And then what was the other one you said? It was another pitcher. Who was it? It was just repeat. Well, Cole was eventually clear waivers went over there. Jared Walsh. Went down, booked her Hermosillo mm-hmm. Bard. And Walsh. Oh, Bard, that was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, Walsh is the guy I'm really interested in seeing how they want to use him going forward because he he can be that guy who comes in the ninth inning when you're down 14 runs and save you a pitcher. Yeah. So, yeah, know, I mean, Bard, Bard was 3-3 three and three with the four seven eight last year, 32 games, 49 innings with 40 Ks. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't really remember watching him pitch very much. I feel like I'm kind of surprised by seeing those numbers. I didn't really realize that he pitched in 32 games, but, hmm. Well, and one thing I want to point out with your comments with Taylor Cole, I think it's easy to, to hammer him on the overall ERA, but there were a couple – there were a – there was a stretch during the season where Taylor was very good. I was surprised by when see. I saw that because I was like – I was surprised that that was the end of the year. Uh, ERA total because I like you said I feel like I I remember watching a couple of games or uh, like a couple of stretches where he was pretty dominant so I was kind of surprised that well yeah there we had a large stretch the year where he was very dominant the problem was when he was bad he was really bad I mean, that's just yeah. the truth. when Taylor is on he's really very good but when he's off 
My goodness. What do you mean? Bad day. <laughs> it's, it's Jekyll and Hyde. All right. So, folks, we appreciate you tuning in live tonight. And hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, hopefully at least follow Talking Halos at Talking Halos. You can also get us on Facebook, Talking Halos. You can just search for it, and we're there. We're also a Talking Halos group where a lot of our guys will come in there and interact a little bit. Um, it also makes it easier because, for some reason, the groups just do better when talking with people. Like the event pages, the business pages, the fan pages, whatever on Facebook, just you don't see them. Twitter, you can find me at DC Paul. You can find Brock where, Brock? At BDROX8. There you go. And and real quick, uh, one, one more thing that I found before you put out this poll. K-Rod in 2008, 62 saves and 69 opportunities. That is uh, mighty, uh, mighty good. So mighty. Mighty good. Make sure you rethink some things. All right. All that said, we're also available in our podcast. We found we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Do us one thing. Do one thing for us, folks, because our big 100 episodes coming up. With that in mind, we're talking 2002 World Series. If you could, leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. And let See, us see. That's know. why that guy had six 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 in his name. He wanted our yeah. phone number and his username. My gosh, get yeah. no. <laughs> anyway, six five seven six six five four five three. Leave your name as a voicemail, and let us know your best memories from that two thousand two season. And if everything is clear. We'll air that on the air. Okay? So I'm just letting you know now, disclaimer, if you leave a message, you're telling us you can use my recording. Okay? So, again, 657-666-5453, leave us your best memory from that 2002 season, or memories, within, let's say, a minute. Okay? And we will play that on the air next episode which by the way is our 100th episode i'm gonna call (laughs) you're gonna call (laughs) you're gonna call so there you go folks have a great one and we're out of here bye can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. 
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.